Hello and welcome to the Night Life Podcast. It has been a little too long since we've seen you and spoken to you, but we have a little surprise for you today. We're really excited to talk about it. This is Dave, every Dave Carry on Instagram. And this is Mike. I go by Bloom and Blade on Instagram. And this is Charlie. Uh, I go by Accidentally Knives. And this is Francisco. I go by TF Spider on Instagram. Welcome back and welcome, uh, Francisco. So Thank you guys you. have heard Francisco on the podcast before. He's joining us and uh, filling in this evening. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your knife life? Sure. Uh, I'll try to keep it pretty brief. So I, uh, I've always liked knives as a little kid, but um, never really collected anything. I started my collection maybe about six, seven years ago, um, funnily enough, with it was a random sale online for a Kershaw, and uh, and I hadn't had any anything decent up until then. I got the Kershaw. I was like, oh, okay, this uh, speed safe is the coolest thing ever, and um, that's kind of how I started. Uh, it was like a thirty dollar knife, and I've kind of gone through the entire gamut of production, making my way up: Spyderco, Benchmade, ZT, all that stuff. I never thought I'd be um, where my collection is right now. I, uh, at one point, my most expensive knife was like 200 bucks, and I thought that was that was done. And then I started talking to Charlie, actually, um, and he started kind of pushing me towards more higher-end stuff, Shiro's, and and now, well, I've kind of gone off the deep end with a bunch of mostly customs now, a bunch of Gareth Bulls and some Spectres, maybe nothing as high-end as Mike, but... Uh, you know, mostly custom stuff nowadays. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And thank you. You actually had a post recently on your Instagram featuring a couple knives by Richard Rogers. And I did. That is the perfect segue to introduce this week's guests, uh, Richard and Sally Rogers, coming to us from New Mexico. How are you guys? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank thanks for coming on, uh, both of you. Yeah, we're really excited to chat with you and to hear a little bit about your knife journey and your life, knife lives as far as makers and, um, you know, influencers in this community for, for some time now. So if you wouldn't mind um, t- giving us a little bit about your backgrounds as far as what sort of got you into knives maybe earlier in your life and eventually into joining the knife community. Okay, well, I... Um I'd always had knives as a kid. I'm old enough that you could still take them to school when I was going to school. Um, (laughs) Always had knives and uh, grew up on a ranch, so always used knives. Always doing something with them. I was never much of a collector. I'm still not a collector. I'm a user. So that influences how I make knives. I like to make stuff that you'll actually carry and use i think it's pretty interesting that you say that a lot of your knives are a user just because you come out with so many designs um but i guess they all at least in your head you try and find a niche for them or something right like uh there's a few i guess more polarizing designs like the uh what is it the ceo i think where it's meant to be more of like a, 
not not your typical like I put it in my pants pocket carry, but more of a you know like a pen pen holder kind of a thing, right? Yeah, originally um, the design was uh, I just thought I'd like to do a knife that was um, for a non-permissive environment, some place where you know executives, doctors, professional type people. Sometimes they can't carry a big knife in a suit. So I was looking for something that was uh, very low profile. So I thought, well, maybe make one in the shape of a pen. So I took a Sharpie marker and laid it out, got some dimensions, and designed Originally, it was designed as a friction folder, a, a slip joint kind with two details that would hold it open and closed. The problem with that is once I made the knife the size of a Sharpie, the blade was enormous. I mean, <laughs> you flip it open and there'd be like a four and a quarter inch blade snapping out of this stuff, out of this thing. And it, it was big. So then I redesigned it and shortened it up and called it the Shorty. Same type of thing. And it was funny because... Uh, almost all of those early knives went ended up with doctors. I had a bunch of doctors come, oh man, it's perfect because I can carry it in scrubs. It's the only knife I have that I can carry in scrubs. Interesting. Um, so that's where that came from. At the time, like I say, I made it so it was non-locked so that if you were in a place where locking knives were forbidden you could still carry it legally um i sent a copy to columbia river and they said man this is cool but we can't sell a non-locking knife so they sent it back so a couple of weeks later i just redesigned it into a regular liner lock and um sent that back to them and they said this is great. We can really do something with this. So our version, custom version, is called the Executive, but DRKT renamed it the CEO. I, I think that the idea of creating a knife with a specific user in mind is, I think, really cool and, and a reflection of your thoughtfulness as a maker. Can you tell us a little bit about what got you into making knives? Were you always handy? Did you like to... Uh, create anything previous to knives? How did you learn? I was um, always a maker. I was always making stuff. And living out on the ranch, I did a lot of, I did some leather work, which I was never really that good at. I think I made some nice whip. I did some braiding that was good, but that gets tough on your hand. My real, my main interest for a interest for a long time was gun. I did some gunsmithing and took a few courses, but at the time I didn't want to get into the legal issues that um, you'd have with liability and carrying insurance and stuff. I knew a guy who got sued because he did some work on a gun that was perfectly good, but the guy loaned it to his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law ended up shooting something. You know, nobody died or anything, but everybody got sued. Mm -hmm. oh. So 
then I um, was carrying a factory knife that would not hold an edge at all. I mean, you could dull this thing cutting butter. <laughs> so I made one out of a one. And it worked all right, but it was pretty coarse. And so then I ordered some books because there was no internet back then. No YouTube, no place to go. And so I got, uh, like, How to Make Knives and the Loveless book. Mm -hmm. Just kept working at it for a while. How long was it from when you began, started started making knives until they were, you know, out there in the wild? I'm guessing it was just to friends and family at first? Or? At friends, uh, at first it was mainly friends. And it was interesting because some of them are, most of the guys that I was giving them to were hunting guides and just working on ranches. But they were good with knives. Okay. They, I mean, I had some of those suckers ground so thin that you could ripple the uh, blade with your thumbnail, but mm. they wouldn't break them because they were really good at, they knew, how to use them. they knew how to use them. Something uh, quite a few people don't know how to do, not a pry bar. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then started doing it. Started, got Blade Magazine and Knives Illustrated. And then I went to a, a show, yes. knife show in... Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, our first knife show. I've been making knives for about a year and a half, and I've never seen a custom one other than mine. But I went there and, and learned a lot. There were some really good makers there, like Tim Hancock. And Bob T. And it was one of Lucas's first shows. No, no. No, no, no. That, that came a, a couple one. of labors. Yeah. yeah that okay, was never mind. It was still a, a Mesa show, but that was a couple of years later. Okay. But yeah, so I went and uh, learned a lot just by looking at the other people's knives. Who were some of the makers that really stood out to you or that inspired you? It's weird because I, I really wasn't a collector of anything. I mean, I just looked at the pictures in Blade magazine. Uh, Tim Hancock was uh, a big influence, but from what I was just starting and I looked at what he was doing and it's like, man, I might as well quit now because I'm never going <laughs> to be able to do anything like that. When um, you started, you were making fixed blades to, to start before you got into folders? Oh, yeah. Yeah, back then it was a, everybody made a four-inch drop point hunter. Right. Well, and but that only actually lasted about maybe two years. And then the book came out, uh, Eugene Shadley and Terry Davis. Terry Davis did the book on how to make multi-blade slip joints. Mm -hmm. And Richard took, read that, and he really took to it because it's like his mind works that way. So he tried it, and he found he was really good at it, and he enjoyed it. So then he went into the um, slip joints and multi-blade. Uh, what was this? Uh, Timing-wise, was this in the 90s or? Early 2000s, right? No, this was actually like, he's, he started making knives in 96. And so this is about 98, early 99 that he got into the slip joint. 
like I said, we've been around a long time. We're old. <laughs> That's cool. I, I was looking on just like Arizona custom knives sorting by date and looking at some of the earlier folders that they had on there. And I mean, they're, they're beautiful and it's cool to see that your design aesthetic was very individual to you, even early, even in the first few years of you making knives um, and how it's come and modernized uh, through the, you know, the last 15 years or so uh, is really, really amazing to see. So, um, so you had the first few years there. Um, if you had two or three years from when you uh, started on fixed blades, then started with some folding traditionals, how much, uh, how much longer after that was it until you started on uh, started with modern folders or flippers? Oh, a long time. I made um, slip joints pretty much until about five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing. That was all I did was uh, slip joints and complicated slip mm-hmm. joints, you know, like the 14 tools and implements, saws and scissors and mm-hmm. corkscrews and gimlets, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff that nobody around could tell you how to make. You figure out how to make a corkscrew. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a lot of trial and error. Cutting saw teeth and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it was, I was getting tired of doing that. Um, and this was at a time when he didn't have like the CNC. He had a really uh, old, old bandsaw from like Herbert Freight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wow. he, so he was doing all this stuff, really detailed stuff. Yeah, and he was, was making miniatures. It was all by hand. There was no, I had a mill, but that was just for. Um, some basic stuff like when I was making um, uh, folders with uh, integral bolsters, mm-hmm. which was um, the nicest way to do it. And I just, but I was kind of getting burnt out on doing it because at the time uh, there weren't very many slip joint makers, and uh, they. I mean, I could do a nice three-blade style belly with pearl and an inlaid shield, and that was like a $750 knife. So, I mean, you'd spend a week on a knife, and it was worth 700 bucks. Right. I'd go to a blade show and work for like two months uh, beforehand and end up with like eight knives for the show. And then it also got to the point where the slip joint market actually started waning pretty drastically. So Richard was getting kind of burned out with doing all these really technical, high-end multi-blades and people not really understanding them anymore. Because at this point, a lot of the people coming into the knife world were younger people, which is great because we needed new blood, but they weren't understanding like what had gone before in knife making or slip joints or slip joints or any of that and so he decided he wanted to go in a new direction and that's when the more modern designs came up well what i did was um i had a plan where i'd learn uh learn how to use cad that was step one and learn how to draw and design it because 
I didn't really have a designing or art background at all. I am not artistic at all. I can design stuff and I can make the lines work. But as far like if you could hand me a pencil and I couldn't draw a line, I couldn't draw a crooked line. Um, but so I took, I started with Rhino because that's what Luke was using. And uh, he called me up after I'd been doing it for a few weeks and, hey, I've got a buddy who's going to do a course in how to use Rhino. So I went up to take the course in Albuquerque with him. And it was Luke Burnley, Tom Crine, Pat Pruitt, and I were the four guys at the course. Wow. And so they ran us through Rhino and how to do it. It's all kind of a blur. But um, I met Pat Pruitt. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him at all. I, you know, I'd, I'd met him before because he was a good friend of Luke's. And I'd met him there. And um, he was a nice guy. He's honestly just super, super nice. He's but um, so then I was talking, I had a couple of questions for him and he's like, well, I've got a, he had a hoss and he's like, I, I can cut you some parts. So I did some bad drawings and he'd <laughs> send them back and tell me where to fix them. And then uh, it must've been brutal for him because I have no idea. What <laughs> <I was doing. laughs> but um back and forth and then after like a month of back and forth he, he cut me some parts and that was the arc the first arc for, okay that was the first design i did and um so he cut me five sets of parts and i got them and man they went together and the cnc did so much to um making the knives easier to make um, easier to put together. Uh, it has a bunch of advantages. And then I'm like, great, these are great. And I get some more and he's like, this was in like September. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll make you some more. I've got some time coming up in March. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, that's not going to work for me. So and I went online and started looking for a CNC to get. Never having actually seen a CNC in my life. And um, so I tracked down a used one. I, I was getting a used one, a Haas, because it was cheaper. And I didn't want to crash a new one. Because then I would cry mm-hmm. more. So I got it in and, and Pat came down and helped me set it up. And um, so he gave me a course and like, this is how you load a tool. I mean, we spent like an afternoon. No, we spent uh, a day and a half moving the machine around and getting coolant in it set up and power wired in and all that. And then um, spent an afternoon. He was like, okay, this is how you load a tool. This is how you load a program. This is how the cam program works uh that was about three or four hours and then he left wow <laughs> it's like good luck crash course good luck <laughs> yes <laughs> Pat Pruitt crash course in machining so then 
after that, it was just beating my head against the wall, trying to figure everything out. But I found out that the, the CNC machine suited me the way my personality. I like things very precise. I like to have mm. the control over what I'm doing. Uh, and it took me a long time to learn to trust the machine because mm. I had a background in actually making everything by hand. And I knew I could just keep, you know, grinding it down till it fit. But figuring out how to make the machine or trust the machine to cut the parts so that it fit took a while. Yeah. When you, um, after the change from when you started to move towards flippers, and I'm sure this ratio has changed, but by this point, what's the ratio of your builds that are, you know, modern folders or flippers say to traditional? I, I made a few series of traditional knives, I guess last year or year before. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I've been concentrating on uh, the more modern flippers or modern folders, stuff that interests me. Like I, um, even before I had gotten a, a CNC or anything, I was still making everything by hand. Uh, I was making, I started making uh, folders, slip joints, non-locking folders with a detents in them to hold them open and close. Because mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out a way to make a modern style slip joint that functioned like a slip joint, but um, didn't have the tedious uh, fitting of the back spring. Mm. Because on a on a good slip joint, the back spring has to be flush in the open position, closed and half stopped if it has one. And because of their nature, I mean, if it's half a thousandth off, you can easily tell. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd spend hours fitting, fitting, fitting. And on a single blade, it's not that big a deal. But when you're making a knife with, like, say, five blades, mm-hmm. and all of them have to be exactly right, it starts to really get tedious. Richard, I have a question. The the double detent or the detent system, is that something that you had sort of developed? Because definitely seeing more and more of that over the last couple of years. Yeah, I had never, well, I had never seen one. I just was thinking, I looked at how um, the liner locks retain the blade with a detent. I'm like, well, I can retain it closed and open, so I'm going to try that. And so I made like four or five, this would have been, I think, six years ago, Mm -hmm. six or seven. Um, And they worked fine, but... And right about that time, there was a somebody, Serge Pachinko, yeah. something like mm-hmm. that. He was also doing the same type of thing. But I had never seen one of his knives until after I had done them. So I don't know if he was first or if I was first. That's cool. Um, the Yours and Serge's and, and then I, um, Anso's Monte Carlo does it. And now more and more. I know Jared Ozer's doing it in a few models. Um, I think it's a great, a great mechanism. You sort of have the, 
the sort of simplicity of a slip joint with, you know, you can still kind of close it against your leg. Um, and it, and it still feels like it's, you know, not going to close on your fingers while you're using it. I, I really like that mechanism. Yeah. And the, one of the huge advantages is you can flip it open. I mean, you can easily one hand it open and high. Uh, yeah. Jared had called me when he was looking into it and had some questions. And his stuff is always gorgeous. I want to strangle him, but he's too tall. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a real nice guy, and he's his stuff is just immaculate. Yeah, you know? I think you guys have a similar, you know, modern. You have a very, you both have very unique aesthetics. That is to to your perspective, and when you see a knife of yours, you know it's yours, and similar to his where you draw a lot of inspiration from, I think, knife traditions and traditional knives. And I've found ways to really modernize them and make them fun. Uh, you know, when I think of your knives, they're, they have that precision and that attention to detail that's just so dialed in from a sort of a finish, finishing work. And, but they're, they're fun and they just don't, they don't feel like you take it too seriously uh, where obviously you take the the product you're making seriously, but it, it's, they have sort of a whimsical fun feeling to them and they're, they're just fun to carry and to use and to enjoy. Oh, thank oh, you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I, like I say, I, my main focus is on making knives that you'll actually carry. I want a knife to, I want you to not to notice that you're carrying the knife until you need it. And then it's easy to open. It's the Works good. There's no stick. It's easy to close. You know, I, I want people to use them. I have a so. You mentioned a lot about the CNC. What would you say is uh, the biggest? I guess box that it opens in terms of you know, does it make it easier to design uh, new models uh, to experiment? Um, and because, I mean, ultimately, you, you mentioned, you know, a knife, a slip joint would take you a week. But uh, it seems like now you're still um, relatively low production levels. Um, so. it, it depends. I'll go through um, when I'm trying new things or doing new models, it slows down. But. I make quite a few knives, not as many as some people, but um, quite a few more than I I could by hand, for sure. Um, but again, I come from a, the handmade background, so I, I don't want 25 cookie cutter knives on my table. I, I should, it would be way more efficient, but I start making a model and all of a sudden I'm using different handle materials or developing different textures or something like that. Or you, you, know. you tweak your designs quite yeah, a bit too. Yeah, I'm OCD. Yeah, it's, it seems that way, I think, because uh, I own one of your old, older Cinco's and your new ones are a little bit thicker now. And it, and it always seems like, you know, uh, at least on your social media it's it's you always have new models you always have new new textures new designs experimenting with new things i think that's that's one of the things that is appealing uh just in terms of you know 
there's always something new coming out. It's not the same knife over and over again. Just uh, I don't know. Just it seems like you almost have like a knife knife design ADD kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would drive me crazy. The it, as far as building the business, I would should probably get one model and the popular one and just ride it like Chris Reeve with the Sabenza or Hinderer and you know just keep doing that until but it would drive me nuts to make like 250 of the same thing a year yeah and and it actually seems like a lot of your fans are almost like asking for it where it's like hey we like this can you just do more of these <laughs> but you know you're you're always like no i'm going to make this knife bottle opener thing instead you know? <laughs> <laughs> or i'm going to make a front flipper now yeah, I'm I'm yeah. never afraid to try something, you know. I you never know. Um and, you, never and recently, know what, you, you don't know if what people if people are gonna get what you're doing. You know, if they're gonna understand how the knife sure is supposed to work. It should come with the manual, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really cool how you went from making multi-blade slip joints, which obviously had a had a pretty specific and acute, you know, followership, and then transitioned into making these modern knives with very modern design um, and that have appealed to a whole new generation of knife makers. I think I I can't think of many makers that really have crossed over like that and stayed relevant while updating their style and trying new things. I think either makers tend to stick to what they do and, you know, that hope, hope that people continue to enjoy what they're doing um, or try and cross over and, and don't necessarily have the staying power. But, you know, when I think about how crazy people went for your slip joints and now how crazy people go f for your modern folders and your slip joints had such a distinct style that was yours compared to what others were doing while still remaining very traditional and your modern knives remain very modern, um, but also represent your, your design, you know, style. Um, so I think that's really special and, and worth, worth mentioning. Oh, thanks. Richard, Richard, when, when it comes to new models, do you keep in mind, uh, the potential that, some of them, one of them could become a production model as well as one of your customs, or do you just kind of, you know, push forward and see where it, what happens? I think for the most part, he just pushes forward. And then he, after he's been, cause he'll do like a prototype. Actually, he usually does two prototypes. And once he looks at it, he thinks, Oh, this might be marketable. So then he'll send it off to CRKT. Um, but then that's part of the thing, too, that we've been discussing is with the production. Some people, and we, and we understand both sides, but it's hard because you like, okay, like the slim utility is really popular. Yeah. But he can only yeah. make many of those. And people really love it. And it's like, but they don't want it to really necessarily go into production because then they kind of feel that it devalues the custom. But yet you don't want to give a totally new design to for production 
and not know whether people are going to buy that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not yes. putting it real well, but yeah, no, she's getting sense. into actual OEM type stuff. Um, we've, in addition to, oh, sort of first answer your question. Um, generally, I just make what I want. I'll get an idea and I'll just go ahead and make the knife. Um, some of the knives designs are purpose driven. The symmetry was a, a detent folder with a blade under um, three inches so that it was legal in most places. I mean, so there was a purpose to the whole design of the knife. Um, the clip is reversible or removable. Um, so, and there's no um, holes left over. You just pull out off the clip and put in a couple of screws. So um, that kind of design was purpose-driven. Generally, if I get a model that I'm happy with, then um, we have a meeting with Columbia River at Blade Show. So I'll take them a couple of knives and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. If they like it, they'll take it and take it back to their um, group that reviews new designs. And they'll say, hey, we're going to take this or mm, we're going to pass. When is the fundraiser? Go ahead. The fundraiser is going from December 1st through December 7th. So it's a week long. And I think this is our seventh annual, sixth or seventh annual. And we raise money for our community for um, the Catron County, which is the county next to us. It's a very, very poor county for their okay. Toys for Tots. And then mm -hmm. for the Toys for Tots here in Magdalena. And then we also split it with two different food banks. One in Magdalena and one in Socorro, which is our, our town 30 miles away. And then for the Friends of the Library, because I'm really involved with the library in Magdalena. So we split it between those four, five things. And, and is, we offer prizes. Richard always makes a knife. And then we have um, other little goodies, swags, like uh, ornaments. In the past, they've been... Each year has a different snowflake ornament, but I was told this year we're getting a different ornament. Yes. I was told we're getting snowflakes still, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I Is have a thing for snowflakes, and I thought our original idea was to stay each year we would have snowflake, a different snowflake design, but he's got a different one. And I'm okay with that as long as next year we go back to ornaments. Our I mean, idea was one year ornament. Off. It just happened to be snowflake for a couple of years. Mm. Plus, I'm, I mean, I want everybody to have something. So last year, we ended up making a bunch of uh, the, the small coins. coins. I got a coin um, last year. I was very happy. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, we made, we yeah. made like 32 coins and we did a knife and a dozen ornaments and basically like this Thanksgiving weekend, I spend the week working and making stuff. And then we also, this year, um, on Facebook, CBJ, Craft Root Junkies, mm -hmm. uh, they've got a really big group, and um, they're really pushing um, for us to break 25000 Last year, we made 16100 
Wow. So they want to take the 25000 this year. So they're really pushing it there. So Richard made them um, a dually with insert, and it's got their CDJ logo on it. So they'll be doing that also. It's, oh, it's typically great. an auction or more like you buy lotto tickets or something like that? Basically, it's kind of like, um, kind of, you know how Luke works his with the, you know, you just buy like a, it's technically a raffle, but it's not supposed to be a raffle. Right. You, you're talking about right. Lucas Burnley and what what those guys do is incredible. And it's amazing what you guys have done in the past. And um, for just for some of our listeners, uh, CBJ is craft brew jo- craft brew junkies you can definitely check those guys out on facebook and uh that's nick swan right and who else and nick parkman and rob mm-hmm. bapti and ben ho all really all really great guys who look for ways to kind of bring the community together in a positive way and and give back and keep it fun so if those are guys if those guys names don't sound familiar to you go check them out and they're always doing a good cause and i think what uh what Burnley did is basically you're donating five dollars uh, or ten dollars, whatever, to to their holiday, you know, um, fundraiser, and then right. there's some some raffle prizes sort of based on those donations, right, Sally? Exactly. Yeah, we we do a spreadsheet with all the people that donate, and on the seventh, after it closes, we'll we'll do the drawing. We do random drawings for the knives and all the other swag and then send them off. That's awesome. I think we all spend a lot of time and uh, as collectors, a lot of time and a lot of money chasing different knives and paying crazy prices for this stuff. And it's always good when individuals take the time to make us remember that like, Hey, if, if we all put a few bucks together, um, how far that can really go and what an impact we can have. So I think that's really cool that you guys have been continuing to contribute in that way. I agree. And, uh, can you just quickly share how we can all uh, join in or be a part of it? Um, what happens um, on the first, there will be um, an announcement in our Facebook group, if you're part of that, Richard Rogers Knives, and on Instagram and on our website, richardrogersknives.com. There's a little section, the tab is called News or Blog, and there will be a, basically like a blog post explaining all about it and it'll be the same idea where you can just just click the button and you can buy it'll be five dollars um basically for a ticket but you can buy as many as you want you know some some we get five we get a lot of fives and then you know any anywhere up from that and for each five dollar donation you make you get one ticket um and then like i say we draw it at the end of the week. So if you have, the more you donate, of course you have more chances. But it, like you say, it is. Everybody just, you know, putting in a little bit at a time really adds up when there's so many people doing it. And that's what really makes it worthwhile. Because for years, Richard and I just did it on our own. And, you know, we could only do so much. And yes, it helped the different causes. But together, when we all chip in, and it really, it's a lot more fun for one thing. Plus, it's just, you know, you can do a lot more good with that amount of money. Yeah, and I think, I think you guys are in a unique 
position right now with with your guys popularity we can really take advantage of it and like you said even make more money than last year and hopefully next year you know really break through that that record it's really incredible well we'll try to help push it and get you that 25k that's a yeah admirable well, they pick, goal they picked 25k and and the craft brew junkies because at that point Nick Parkman is going to get his beard and head shaved. <laughs> I saw that. Sally, how much until you get your head shaved? <laughs> now, I was thinking about that today as I was trying to get tangles out of my hair. I'm like, you know, maybe I should just use that as a reason to get my hair cut. <laughs> 50 grand and Richard can do it on Instagram. <laughs> so and what you, is your... What are your, your history, Sally and Richard? I mean, Sally, you, you sort of are, are in a way the, the face to the brand and, you know, you're at every show and obviously vocal in the Facebook group and online. Um, what how did you two meet and, and how have you sort of um, played into Richard's knife making career? Um, we met in college. Um, we were sophomores in, in the same Spanish class. And Richard likes to say, he was making a better grade in Spanish class than I did. But I think we were about even on it. We've been together since, since sophomores in college. And then we, um, my degree was are in psychology and archaeology. But then um, when Richard, Richard's degree is in, he's a certified public accountant first. And I worked in his office with him. And so we've kind of always been worked together and we work together really well most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, when he, he came and said, Hey, I think I want to make knives. And I looked at him and like knives, really knives. And he said, yeah, I'm like, okay, whatever. And then about five minutes later, I looked at him and said, you mean like kitchen knives? And he's like, no, like honey knives. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because at that point, I had no idea. I mean, my real, when I was younger, I had a little case knife that my grandpa gave me, you know, an old pocket knife. But I only used that when I was at my grandpa's farm. So I never really used knives much. It was always scissors or something like that. Um, but we've just kind of always supported whatever we've wanted to do. Um, so then once he got into that, it was like, okay, he wants to make knives, but he doesn't want to have to deal with any of the other stuff. So that's where I come in. I just kind of like, basically I'm his secretary. I think. I'm like super introverted. I can live in my shop and not talk to anybody for a month. And I won't even notice. I just live in my head. Which is a scary place. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and then once we got on Facebook and, and Instagram and stuff and you changed the direction to deal with more people, um, I was having issues answering a bunch of emails and the social interaction because it takes away time from actually making the knife. And so I was sitting there bitching about it. And Sally said, 
I can answer email. It's no problem. And I'm like, great. You go. <laughs> and then a week later, she's like, what is wrong with these people? But <laughs> <laughs> well, it so funny because sometimes they'll, you'll get an email and they'll ask three questions and I will answer those three questions. And then I get an email back and it's like, did they read my answers? Because it's like some of them and others, it's like, you know, I'm, and the good thing is that they are trying to learn and that's really good. And we appreciate them asking, but sometimes some of the questions or they'll, especially like with anodite, and it's like, I really want this knife, but I want it to be blue, but not just any blue. I want it to be blue, blue, <laughs> and not that color that purple, but more of a blue. And it's like, and you had one knife on your table like that at Blade three years ago. That's the color I want. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> right. And we, um, we get those and we're like, uh, you know, we'll do our best, but. <laughs> no promises. Well, yeah, one I'm, time it was really funny. We had one guy who Richard had just won best of show at Blade Show with a multi-blade folder that was really nice. It was the sportsman's. And this guy comes to the table and he says, you know, I would really like you to make me one like this, but if you change this, 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 and this, it'd be a really nice knife. <laughs> it was totally like, different knife. <laughs> it's no longer this knife, dude. <laughs> and, and they just don't seem to understand that. And so, yeah, so email sometimes can be a little aggravating, let's say. Well, I've had people say, okay, yeah, I'm interested in the knife, but can you, I need a video of it. I need you to, a video of it flipping, and I need a video of you flipping it with your left hand. And <laughs> can you take it all apart for me so I can see how it's made inside? And, wow. and it's like, what's the weight of the scale? I can't imagine. Like, take it to the Grand Canyon, and I want to see how it photographs. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it's just some of the requests have been, how much does the clip weigh? <laughs> Richard, where do you draw where do you draw inspiration from um aside from sort of making knives that fill like a, a niche or a, you know, a specific use case? Like where do you are you a music buff, movies, do you like art? Where do you kind of what inspires you? I really don't know. He, he actually gets ideas from just about everything. Like sometimes we'll be driving and he'll see like the, the back end of a vehicle. And he's like, you know, the lines on that are just really wrong. Of a vehicle. Yeah, well, I'm not going to say the brand. I'm not going to say the brand. Uh, in case someone might have one of those. But, um, and he'll just, you know, and he'll, and it'll make him think or he just sees different things and just gets ideas from it or a lot of times you'll see different design and think oh i could kind of incorporate that for an inlay and a handle for a design or a texture yeah it's it's weird because i had been making knives but most of them almost all the slip joints are traditional patterns i mean you see a picture of it and make something that looks like that or um like tony bows he he has all the old case knives that he 
takes apart and uses those for patterns. Um, but once I started teaching myself design, I pay attention to design on everything. Mm. I mean, everything. Why does that look like that? Um, the key, the, the key element of design on knives is, um, to me is of course flow, but every line should be picked up somewhere else on the knife. You, your mind wants the complete lines. And so if one goes off towards South America, it, it looks funny. Um, the best at that is Daggers by Wolfgang Lochner. Oh, those are just fabulous. But yeah, learning design on your own by just looking at stuff and, and trying stuff is, is a lot of work. So you have time to do all this and you still... How do you split your time between knife time and ranch time? Is it half and half, 60-40, It depends. Time, different times of year, um, ranch work gets more busy. Um, when we have calving season, when we have um, gathering, which is shipping, which is usually late September, early October, or because we live in New Mexico where it's very arid, we have water problems pretty much mm -hmm. all the time. And so checking water lines or messing with windmills and stuff like that, it just depends on, on what's needed. Yeah, well, a ranch can rock along for quite a while, and then everything falls apart, falls apart at once, and, or somebody needs help. My son is managing a big ranch uh, south of us, and he needed help gathering a pasture and branding some calves on Saturday. So no, yeah, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. I was, so we left here at eight in the morning and got back at six at night. So that was a full day. So that was no shop time. Well, I was in the shop for an hour before we left, but, um, but like getting ready for a show, um, he's pretty much in the shop quite a bit before a show obviously or at least two tries to do two months ahead of time but not always sometimes mm -hmm. it's like a month if he's lucky um you got uh you uh you skipped uh new york this year after going for a yeah. while we we we, we, we so missed you are you going to attend it in the future you think or um probably the problem with new york for us is it's a very expensive show for us to do because flying out last year cost us, what, almost 2000 just to fly? So mm -hmm. between the hotel, getting there, and um, the show costs and the hotels and everything, it's, it really adds up. Mm. Yeah, it was like 3500 bucks wow. to do the show. Uh, and, I mean, that kind of stuff adds up plus we've been we get i get into a rut going you prepare for a show and then do um then you're at the show and then i get back and i catch up on all the ranch work that i um put off getting ready for the show and then you turn around and it's time to push for a new show push for the next show mm -hmm. and then you just keep doing that and you don't ever get a slow down time to 
to stop and do more design work. And so we just needed to, to take a break from that one show this year. To go back to, pro- is, sorry, Charlie, like the most uh, <clears throat> enjoyable part of, I don't know, the knife making process and like the, the fans or the customers, um, just what, what about it that like makes it most appealing to you? The best thing about the knife making knives is the people, the, the knife guys, the collectors and enthusiasts and makers, they're all great. I mean, it's a really close knit community. And they're almost all of them are just really nice guys and girls. Uh, they're pretty much my social interaction. I don't, like I say, here I stay in my shop and work. So the knife community is pretty much, they're my people. So the best part of making knives is people and the worst part of making knives is people? Yeah, no. pretty much. No. <laughs> the worst part of making knives is when, when I screw something up. But you don't do that often. You really don't. Yeah, but... Mm, uh, it, knife, you know, anything, making anything can be frustrating, but I like the, the knife people. They're great. Uh, but like I say, I'm a super introverted, so um, it's taken me a while to get comfortable around a lot of people. You'll notice when Sally does the lottery, I just keep edging back away from all the people waiting. <laughs> You've noticed Fortunately, that. We have friends that come and help out and text and draw numbers and stuff. It's also hard for him to kind of stay at the table for long lengths of time. Um, because part of it, too, is he likes to go out and see other, what's out there you know, what other people are doing or trying to visit a little bit, but you get so busy and you do stay at the table for so long. And then at the end of the show, you get home and you're like, Oh darn, we didn't get to see them or them or them. And yeah, you find, especially the longer you're in it, the more friends you make and you don't get to spend the time with them. Cause for us, yeah, the shows are, yes, it's great to sell the knives at the show, of course. And have new people see them and handle them. And that's why we do the lotto lottos the way we do so that the knives can stay on the table for the people to see. And each day we have a lotto like on Friday and another one on Saturday so that the people that weren't able to come on Friday or can only come on Saturday or whatever, have a chance at them and newbies can hold them and see what it's all about. That's fun, but it's all, I think both of us, the most fun is just getting to visit with people. You run lottos very well from the chance that you give people to enter at different times. And also just uh, your lotto tickets always stand out. They're just really nicely designed, super clean looking. It's easy to fill them out. It's a, you have a really good system for running lottos. It's clean. Yeah, we've worked on it over the years. And then with the tickets, um, we were really lucky. Luke had actually designed those beep beep tickets. And um, he ordered them from ticketprinting.com. And I asked him about them. He said, yeah, just tell them, you know, you want to use that same design and just, you know, with our information, obviously, 
And then so we did that for a few years. And then the last couple of shows or the last couple of years, I guess, I decided to change the color on them because everybody's were white and they were getting them mixed mm-hmm. up and um, putting in, you know, putting the tickets in the wrong because, you know, they get a handful from like Luke's table or Tom's table or our table or different people that are using them now. So then I thought, well, if I do a different color, then they'll be able to tell ours apart. And people really have reacted nicely to that. And they'd say it's really helped them. So So they they didn't email you afterwards and say, like, can you make it a different shade of like bluish green? (laughs) (laughs) I actually did that because because my my color kind of signature color is a, is on the teal turquoise the aqua kind of shade and so when i ordered the tickets they actually had the the name on it said turquoise so i'm like okay perfect so i ordered them and then they came in and they're more like the light blue not at all turquoise i'm like well i wanted blue i wanted a turquoise blue so you were so the yes, one sending <laughs> Uh, we, we can edit this out if you don't want to answer this. And I'd almost make, I'd almost rather set this as a line so people could bet over or under on this. But how many knives come out of your shop per year, Richard? About? I, I don't know for sure. Um, this year, fewer than it has been. <clears throat> but um, for a while there, I was like at 150 a year. That's been sound. I, I have not seen 150 knives. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever I seen that 100. That sounds high. <laughs> well, it's like a lot of mine A lot of mine are flipped because I, I try to price them fairly so that people can get them and make money if they have to sell them. Um, I'm not trying to get every last dollar out of whatever I can get. Um but a lot of mine, people like them. They stick them in their pocket and they use them. Uh, a lot of the slip joints used to go into a black hole. I'd sell them. You'd never see them again. Yeah, we had a number of collectors with the slip joints. And they were older gentlemen. And they were collectors. And they, a lot of them put them in their safe. And they stayed there. And some of them, you know, would take them out and, or put them on display. But they never turned over. And the only time they did turn over was when the gentleman became ill or some of them died. And then, you know, their kids were getting rid of because most of the most of the people back then were collectors, collectors. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't go from one to the other. They, They liked slip joints and they would get one from you. And if they'd like it, they'd buy another one. And then they'd go and. They just enjoyed having the time. Do you anticipate or see yourself ever getting back into making slip joints? Yeah, I'd like to. I mean, I've had quite a few people ask. I've made some simple, useful single blades. Well, you made some two two blades. A couple of, yeah. But when you really get into the real multi-blade slip joints the technical stuff is when you start getting into like three blades or a two blades where the blades pass each other yeah uh, so you got two blades on a 330 seconds spring and they have to pass each other 
without touching. And that takes a lot of work and special grinding. A lot of people make slip joints now, but almost all of them are a single blade. Hmm. They're not two or three or four or five blades. There are some guys still doing quite a bit of that, but not but not very many. Yeah, pretty much not a ton of newer makers doing multi-blade slip joints. It's really the the guys that have been doing it now for some time that you really see still still making them like that, which is a shame because, I, I mean, the, correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, but a, a multi-blade slip joint like that is, 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 would you say that's about as technical as it gets or as challenging as it gets? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. The slip joints are, for me or for most people, are the, by far the most difficult knife to make because, like on a, say you've got a, five blade sow belly you've got three springs two two liners and two frames and um everything the the back springs half are all neck everything's next to each other so if anything's off by even a tiny amount it it just looks horrible so you're having to fit all that and make sure it's fit open half and closed um to within half a thousand and a sheet of papers three and a half thousands so you know you're one seventh of the thickness of a sheet of paper you can tell so anybody doing those kind of slip joints is is just fantastic i mean it's just incredibly difficult and time consuming plus everything has to be perfectly flat and perfectly parallel and then you beat it together with a hammer. Yeah, that's the thing. Slip <laughs> joints don't have screws. So, Jen. well, the real slip joints don't have screws. Um, and so, you know, you'd work all this long time on get it all together. Everything works perfectly. And then at the end, you'd hammer those pins in and pray that, you know, it you went together it. right, and it didn't ping off of something, or you didn't slip a little and chip out that mother of pearl. Because then it's like back to the time board. Yeah, then you beat it apart with a hammer <laughs> and start all over. <laughs> Are there any makers that uh, that you really enjoy seeing what they're putting out or that you follow regularly? Oh, he loves. I'm serious fanboy of Sinkovich. Oh, yeah. I like Dimitri. He's he's a nice guy. It's it's amazing that um, so many of the really top level um, makers are super humble about it, and he's like, "Hey, I just did, you know, it's no big deal." Whereas some of the guys that are like, "Yes, I'm very special," you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dimitri, I like him a lot. There's a guy. No idea. Um, I've never, I've never um, seen him. Is like I think he's Russian. It's like Justice Knives. Oh yeah. It's like he comes out with this beautiful. Seems like he comes out with a beautiful flowing design every week, mm-hmm. and then makes it goes fishing somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you carry any of your knives on a daily basis? I carry one from Columbia River. I, I'm married. She just stepped out 
but I'm married. So anytime I make one, she takes it and sells it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would cringe using a knife that I you put so much work into out here because, you know, here I'll be prying, prying off a hubcap or something silly with it. Yeah. That's understood. I do. I, do um, I have carried them quite a bit before, especially prototypes I'll carry for a while, mm. seeing if um, there's any problems with it, anything I don't like, does it carry well, you know, just basically testing. Is there, um, are there any of your models where, you know, that you're especially maybe partial to where it's like, yeah, I made that um, the shit kind of a thing? Oh, could you repeat that? Sorry. Um, is, is there, are there any of your models that you're especially partial to or that the ones that you're really proud of, I don't know, designing and maybe the feedback that you get stuff like that? He's thinking. I don't know. Um, probably the arc that was the first one. Um, it's been updated, but it's because it's so thin and light and it's decent design. Hi, I think the arc is awesome. I have one in my hands right now. Whoa, 2.0. <laughs> I think we have like yeah, four, four arc owners here. <laughs> And like I say, I that was the first one I did, and um, then it had a major update a while back. I put the grooves on the um, blade, and so then they good. went into the handle. And the two grooves in the blade were kind of an experiment because I'm planning on I've got some updated modern slip joints in my head, and so I was trying to make something that as an opening feature that was ambidextrous mm. and um, still looked modern. You know, it didn't, it didn't uh, interrupt the flow of the knife. Like, Hey, here, here's a thing on it to open it. So the two grooves in the blade was a, a test for an opening feature in the future. Well, we want to be um, thoughtful of your time and, you know, again, just wanted to thank you guys for taking the time to chat with us. And um, Richard, I know, you know, you, you shared that you're you're introverted and you like to stay in your shop. So it means a lot that you, you came out and joined us. And Sally, thank you very much. I just wanted to give uh, everyone an opportunity before we before we wrap it up, if anyone has any last questions or if Richard or Sally, if there's anything else you wanted to to share or any information you want to get out there um you'd obviously be happy to hear it i have I one question that's not really that's not knife related but uh richard how many times do you think you've seen uh big trouble in little china oh good lord <laughs> nick swan was here time. nick swan was here uh earlier this year and he was checking was our cabinet year. well no it was earlier this year wasn't it no, anyway it was last year we did the collab Anyway, he was looking in our DVD cabinet, and he's like, oh, here's Little Trouble in Big China. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China. And he's like, oh, here's another one. Here's another one. We have five copies of it. Oh, I love hearing in that. Case, in case it goes, you know, one gets hurt in some way. You have to have a, a spare. So, yeah, Little Trouble. I mean, Big Trouble. Jeez. Why She's I? getting older. 
Big trouble. Actually, it's not my favorite. I will say that. I think it's hilarious. Uh, it's got to be one of the best movies ever. And he he does quote some of the lines quite often. And we did have that sticker. Uh, oh, it's yeah. all in the reflexes. He sent those stickers out with the coin last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we ran out of those. But um, one of our next T-shirt designs with Peppy on it, he's going to be Jack Burton. Yes. Awesome. I love hearing this. It's Anybody trying else? to design boots on him is, is the problem. <laughs> the Jack Burton boots? Yep. Yes. And I'd actually kind of like to put those glasses, you know, on the scene. Oh, yeah. The, I looked forever or those white glasses with the little slit in them. Yep. I never uh, could find them. The closest we found were these ski. They weren't <laughs> goggles. They were ski glasses. But they were like $185. And it was like, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, gonna, so, I'm, go, I'm going on the hunt for those glasses. I know the ones you're talking about. Yeah. I'll look sharp standing at a knife show with those on. Oh, yes. yeah. You're not... That, and, take... <laughs> and then you can work your jean back together. You would be styling, boy. Yeah, she made me a Jane hat. Because that's Firefly, another one. Mm-hmm. But she won't let me wear it out. <laughs> Let's just say orange is not his best color. <laughs> all right, so that's guys, all I had. Thank you so much again for taking the time to connect with us. And uh, to any of our listeners, if you want to connect uh, and see what Richard and Sally have got going on. Um, you can check out their Instagram or their Facebook group uh, or their website, I think is richardrogersknives.com. And that has links to all their, their social media. Um, and again, just a big thank you from everybody here at Knife Life and all our listeners. You guys are, are incredible. And it was an absolute pleasure. All we'll right. Thanks. It's been fun. thanks for having us on. We really appreciated it. Thank you for taking the time. Yes, thanks very much, Richard and Sally. We're going to try and get this out um, by next week so that... Yes. Uh, yeah, before your fundraiser, just to see oh, if we great. help out a little bit. All right. Well, from the Knife Life podcast, uh, this is everybody signing off. This is Every Dave Carey. You can catch me on Instagram. This is Mike on Bloom and Blade on Instagram. This is Charlie. And this is Francisco, TF Spider on Instagram. All right. Thank you for joining us, Francisco. And and, uh, thank you, everybody. Have a great night, and we'll talk to you all soon.